0: This is the No Stroke Podcast with your co-hosts, David Dancero and Michael Garrow, helping you to support and thrive in life after stroke. Their podcast is designed for educational and community support purposes only and should not replace medical treatment and guidance of your own health professional team.
1: Welcome to the No Stroke Podcast. This is our third episode in our fourth season. I'm Dave Dancero. I'm here with my co-host michael garrow hi mike
2: how's things going david nice to be back
1: good likewise it's uh we're, we're heating things up here we um not, not only is it heating up at where you are in new york you get that afternoon Well, you got that what is that uh is that a uh what exposure is that that you always look to like you're baking in the afternoon west
2: west yeah mm, so yeah you know it's tough tough you know like the, the views of manhattan you know just get a little glary uh, at around you know four o'clock in the afternoon uh, so you know you have to squint to kind of see see the skyline it's tough like <laughs> all, all that we're uh, missing but is the- oh, we, we do we, we would love a balcony um don't have the balcony but you know what that that's why we're working that's why we, that's why we hustle that it could be you know it's a goal of ours one day have a little balcony that we could sit out and and see the views
1: go live, go live off the balcony. That would be, we might be muted the whole time. But uh, <laughs> uh, so I, um, I had to get a little, uh, little, uh, not a, a full, uh, deep uh, chill before this one to kind of get ready for this episode. But I did have to do a quick dip in the pool, just uh, cold dip nice. in the pool in between things to, to kind of get ready to rock and roll here but we have a we have a guest um we've been we've been we've been not only heating up with the weather wise but we've been getting uh back in our cadence of our regular rhythm of of, of our podcast so that feels good as well um yeah and yeah you're getting the groove back on it's um yeah in summer months i mean where
2: it's it is tough to schedule you know through the summer a lot of vacations and everything but yeah we've been lucky um and yeah have a good one today uh, yep. Henry Hoffman, CEO, founder of Sabo, Sabo therapy. Um, you know, it's a, it's a group that, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, are familiar with who might've used advice. Um, you know, they've, they've been around since 2001, Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, early days. You know, yeah. Henry, Henry will kind of give the origin story, but that yeah, was a good discussion. Uh, you know, Henry, he, he got connected through us from uh, Dr. Carolyn Brown, who is a past guest, um, who, who runs now stroke OT. Um, she was working for him kind of in the early days of, of, um, SABO. And as he was kind of hitting the ground, trying to, trying to get these devices out into clinicians and ultimately uh patient's hands. So,
1: yeah, so it, this is a good one. Um, we just, uh, you have something for in the news before we, we, um, bring Henry in. Um, I have a quick question for you. I did uh, did find the uh, cover in the news last week. We talked about Lindsey Vaughn and her feature story with her mom on Brain and Life. Um, mm-hmm. Did 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 she, did she give you a buzz? Um, I
2: you know what my DMs have been quiet. Um, <laughs> she has she hasn't uh, snuck in there to to give an update on on coming onto the podcast, but uh, you know persistence pays off david Mm -hmm. um you know so so we're keep we're keeping the hope alive yep you know and i have we'll go yeah i i have a
1: good feeling because there's too many parallels in your story so we're gonna we're gonna keep giving some nudges so um what do you have for in the news
2: um a little snippet i i think it's you know i have reached out um hopefully get get this group on as a guest to really dive into it um i haven't Really got my head around exactly what what the science is, but it was a study out of uh, NYU, uh, and it was around the a um, algorithm and machine learning tool that is able to detect kind of movement with it for stroke rehab, right? So like the precise and accurate movement intensity for stroke rehab patients. Um, it's called the Primsky digital tool, uh, and really this tool is meant for therapists uh, to use during the observation and evaluations of, uh, you know, folks with upper arm and lower arm uh, paralysis. So they've, they've apparently come trained this algorithm to work similar to like a, you know, the, the speech recognition tool on your phone when you talk into it, it's kind of tracking and then spits out the words as text on the screen Apparently, what this algorithm does is through wearable sensors and kind of video, be able to track what that patient's doing currently and kind of give that range of how long it would take to kind of get to a next level of of range of motion um, through this algorithm kind of learn. This thing. So I don't know if I explained that very well. So I'm hopefully going to we'll hopefully have the, the group on who actually led the research to kind of dive into it um because it is it, it's pretty interesting um you know you apply application of, of some of this ai seems pretty kind of nuanced in the field so it would be cool to kind of see you know the direction that they're trying to take it
1: yeah interesting what's uh maybe we'll get that in the in the notes too i'd like to take a look at that as well we can follow up and get them on to talk about it more but that that's a good one and i'm not gonna uh, i'm not gonna make any excuses uh, I'm not up on the stroke news this week. I think I told you and I'll share. I started a, uh, uh, I went back to school in a little bit of a way and uh, to, to some taking a, 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 an evening course at Community College on uh, UI UX. So it's really uh, very, very interesting. And it's, um, I'm already starting to look at things in a different lens from a sort of a design or a usability lens. And um, I, uh, I didn't realize just how, um, how much time it would take but um, it's all it's all good. I'm, I'm really enjoying. It. I'm glad I, I'm glad I enrolled. So, I um, mean, it's a little the, it's a
2: little. Con- for the audience who might not know UI UX, give the give the 30,000 foot view of of what you're doing, what you're trying to, to learn here.
1: Well, I'm just looking at uh, the the in, in terms of design. And this is um, this is uh user interface and user experience or user design is, uh, you know, it can apply to a lot of different, um, areas, uh, uh, of, of not only manufacturing, but this is particularly specific more to, to, to apps and digital. Um, so a lot of the exercises and a lot of the, the homework is specific to, um, you know, web design and usability testing and, A lot of the terms that I've worked on with other teams and projects that I'm on, um, a lot of the um, language um, is is now making better sense in terms of the the tools that are used to to do the testing and to to collaborate. So um, it's um, it's it's keeping me. it's keeping me up a little bit later than I'm usually up at night getting making sure because the it's twice a week so um, I've got uh, I've got four more four more weeks of learning and then uh, hopefully I can apply some Maybe I can uh, use some of the um, the lessons learned to give a couple of tweaks to a few of our uh, sites too as well so probably. yeah
2: and it, and you know what? i could already see like you know the the photos in your background there on the <laughs> wall you've already you know they're already a little yeah. straightened up more organized you know it's uh you're you're being able you're applying this to well, to your uh, art collection uh, as
1: well there, I, but, yeah. I don't have a lot of negative space in my background i think that's no, the term that i no, should be using no, yeah negative <laughs> space <laughs> what <laughs>
2: Certainly not. But hey, uh, you know, interesting. Glad you're taking the course. You know, you, you never stop learning. So keep right. it up. Um, it'll be Thank certainly you. something that, that's practical for you. Um, so, yeah, let, let's jump into the podcast. Uh, again, we are joined by Henry Hoffman, CEO and founder at Sabo Health. Um, great conversation. Great guy. Um, you know, we, we really, he's been in this stroke space for a long time. Um, truly passionate about it and I think that really comes out in that episode um, and as always you know if you guys are interested to connect with Henry we've left information in the show notes um, and you can find them at Sabo, sabo.com um, for the whole product log and and everything that that they have on offer so um, with that let, let's jump into the episode. All right welcome back to the No Stroke Podcast. Today, we are joined by Henry Hoffman. Um, Henry, we we got introduced through mutual friend, uh, mutual, uh, one of your old colleagues and a past guest of ours on the no Stroke podcast, um, now Dr. Um, Carolyn Brown. So Carolyn is doing some great work in the, you know, she's a occupational therapist by, by background um, and we'll dig into kind of how you two got connected here shortly. Um, but again, it, when when she said that, you know, she knew you, we, we got quite excited because Sabo is is something, you know, especially in the, the stroke rehab space um, that a lot of people know. Um, it's a great, great set of products. And, you know, we're excited to dive into the origin story, your background, um, and really the evolution here of, of what's to come with Sabo. So I'll let you kind of get get started um you know can you for our listeners can you just give a bit of background on you know yourself kind of what short journey and kind of how you got to where you are today
0: yeah well it's always uh, good to see you guys and thanks for having me on and excited to talk today about what's up and coming in the stroke industry uh so I'm i'm an occupational therapist and carolyn i've known carolyn for probably almost 20 years now uh i uh After graduating from Duval College in Buffalo, New York, I uh, made my way to Burke Rehab Hospital in White Plains, not too far from you guys. And um, it was there where uh, the thought of SABO started. At that time, uh, my brother was in North Carolina as an OT as well. And it all started with a device called the uh, SABO Glide, which is a vertical pole gliding exercise device that you work on for shoulder strengthening. A, uh, a mother came in with her hemipretic uh, cerebral palsy, uh, 16-year-old son, wanting to participate in canoeing, and um, the problem was his hand could not stay on the oar, so they wanted, as OTs, we adapt and we modify and we create ways to be independent. I took the oar, modified a thermoplastic sleeve uh, that went around the oar, and then uh, that took a water glove, sewed Velcro on one side, hook on the on the sleeve, and the hand was stuck on the oar. It would just glide up and down, so the boy could participate and um, uh, rowing a boat, which was great. We we accomplished a goal, and that that oar was sitting in the uh, corner of the room when I was treating a stroke survivor, <clears throat> and I noticed she uh, at the time had proximal weakness. And I said, to her, do me a favor, humor me, and put this oar uh, in between your legs." And as we we're lying down, she kind of gave me a strange look. I said, "Trust me, here we're going somewhere with this." And uh, she actually grabbed onto the gliding sleeve uh, with that water glove, which was holding her hand for control. And she did great proximal smooth movements. And that's when the light bulb, this is 2001. The light bulb went off. Wow. Cause back in 2001, we had nothing for stroke rehab. We had Easton, maybe uh, not consistently. We had a skateboard, a little board on wheels an arm bike. I think that's pretty much it. And just do with some pulleys or something. It was just awful. And so, this was a great home program to be, and that's where the Sable Glide started. So, fast forward, uh, my brother and I got pretty excited about the opportunity. This was considered drinking money on the weekends to make this thing. So, the Sable Glide was born. <clears throat> the first customer was my hospital, Berkeley Hospital. They bought like 12 for a fitness uh, class, and um, the rest is history. Now, we're uh, 20 years later, um, an international company uh, with over 12, 13, 14 products serving uh, over a million, uh, survivors. So.
1: Wow. That's what an intro that, that is, uh, I, I'm smiling. Cause as a clinician, you know, you, you mentioned we didn't have a lot we, we, you know, if we have, if we have duct tape and we have bands and tubes, we find a way to, to get those, those outcomes that the patients want. So, um, great, uh, great start to the innovation that sparked that. But if we step back, what, what what motivated henry to go to become an ot mm-hmm. well that's a, your, your brother and you both both are in the in the business so to speak so how did that start yep
0: yep and it all started with my dad's poker buddy to be honest with you i was a sophomore in high school and every tuesday he had um, eight or nine guys uh, over or they rotated and and one of the poker buddies uh, had his own therapy clinic and i was a high i was a sophomore in high school still trying to figure out what the heck i'm gonna do with my life um didn't have the greatest grades, got in trouble a lot, kept challenging everybody. It was frustrating my parents, and um, which I think that came to help me in the future. But uh, the uh, his friend um, volunteered to have me come over and watch him for three Saturdays, and I fell in love. I fell in love with the process, fell in love with him helping people, uh, fell in love with how easy it was to uh, complete your day. You weren't bored. It's not like you're sitting at a cubicle. Um, so I, I knew right there, this is what I want to do. I want to help people. I want to solve their, uh, problems. Um, and it kind of felt good, uh, because my mom, when I grew up, she, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. So for years, we tried to solve her issues and we couldn't, and maybe there was some ability there to have a bit more control over that and helping people put a smile on their face. And that's how it started. So, uh, after volunteering, I did more volunteering at the local hospital applied for different schools. And that's how the ball got rolling.
2: Interesting. And, and, you know, you were, you're fortunate to be at Burke. From my understanding, it's one of the largest rehab centers, you know, in the, in the country. Um, You know, so during your time there, obviously they were the first ones to kind of give you that opportunity to bring, bring this device in. Um, You know, what was it for, like, what was the, biggest hurdle for you in that, at that stage, you know, when you were kind of at the beginning of saying, all right, this could be something. And then you had your first buy-in, like walk us through yeah. some of, some of the early stages of, of SABO.
0: Yeah. So this is before any of the other products, if we just stick with the SABO glide, which was really the start of everything um, go to work in the morning, get home at three 30, go into the basement, and figure out a business model for the Sable Glide. right up until like nine, 10 at night, uh, writing a patent, never even knew what a patent was, how it worked. Uh, There wasn't YouTube videos at that point. This is 2001 AOL dial-up, right? So uh, you just go to the USPTO.gov website and look at the FAQs and then then look at samples of what other products were similar to ours and start figuring out how to write claims and descriptions. So I spent a lot of time um, uh, with my brother perfecting the product, um, writing the patent, uh, coming up with flyers, brochures, and then how the heck is anyone even going to know that this thing exists? Cause, cause pre-internet, you know, it's pretty much get in a car and drive everywhere. Right. Well, the internet started coming around. It was 2001. So people used it. So I was able to get, uh, addresses for all the rehab catalogs, hospitals, anyone that deals with stroke, and then sent them a brochure. And that's how it kind of started, but the transition was crazy when we created the second product, which is now known as the SableFlex. I was still working at Burke. My brother was still at his uh, job in North Carolina, and we were trying to solve a bigger problem. Now I'm glad we had the Sable Glide because that focused on uh, shoulder and elbow exercises for stroke survivors. That was very progressive. Um, so usually back then when you discharge your patient, you gave them a program at their current level and you said, good luck, have a good life. Here's the program for you. Well, they're going to plateau in two months as if they really do a good job. And you never told them what to do next. So the Sable Glide kind of answered that it told them how to keep progressing. So, but the big struggle was the hand. How can we get the hand back? Now these stroke survivors who came in, okay, fine. We're working on shoulder, working on hand or elbow, but they can't open their hand. And this is the same time constraint induced movement therapy became extremely popular. So for, for the audience, that's when you would restrain your healthy side in a cast or a sling and force you to use your affected side for six hours a day as a traditional that Dr. Wolf did. And then they had some modified version, which was uh, three hours or three times per week at a shorter duration. And that uh, turned out to be very effective for the right patients that qualified. The problem is, of those stroke survivors that come into a clinic do not uh, only qualify. 80% do not qualify because they don't have enough finger extension. So our job after developing a glide was how can we help patients use their hand? Because we were doing hand over hand assistance as therapists. We were taking our hands, putting them over the patient's hands, having them grab a cone or, you know, back in the day it was a cone. God forbid you use a cone now. There's so many better things you can do or a ball have them transfer and then pry those fingers open. But the problem is you're not going to live with a patient and Lord knows they don't want me living with a patient. So how can we replicate that mechanically? And that's when we started the birth of the Sableflex. And so once we created that Sableflex and i was still working at Burke and, and John was still at his clinic, we saw someone for the very first time, pick up a ball and let go of it. That has never been done prior to that literally pick something up and let go of it. And that was huge back then. Now people take it for granted. They assume that that already, that should happen right away. It's kind of like chronic patients and acute patients are very similar to chronic therapists and acute therapists and a, and a chronic patient. If they can pick their hand up and let go of it for the first time, there's tears because they've had 10 years of hell. Acute patient, you give them a sable flex three weeks into therapy. Well, okay, this is cool. There's no emotional reaction because they're assuming this is the process. Same thing with therapists. When we used to teach therapists, chronic therapists, meaning I've been doing this a long time, uh, hey, fit your patient with a Sableflex. They're jumping up and down because they have years of struggling with not being able to do that. These new grads, they're assuming this is a normal process. So it's kind of funny how that works out. Uh, so once that product showed that it actually works, uh, we decided, hey, let's do a one-week and two-week camp. But wait a minute, we don't have a clinic because we can't. we have no money. Well, how are we going to do that? So let's go to a local uh, hotel conference room, and tell them we want to use their space, and then let's um, put an ad out in a stroke magazine to see if we can find patients who don't qualify for constraint-induced movement therapy, and they can come um, and, and hang out with us for a week and get fit with this device. And at that point, we I, I had to make a decision, a tough decision, to resign at Burke and go all in. And so I packed up my bags from New York and moved to North Carolina, and that's where it all started
2: sunny charleston if i'm not mistaken right all right well
0: i'm in charleston, charleston now but yeah. the sabo headquarters is in charlotte north carolina
2: nice yep. it is gorgeous it's gorgeous down there i was just there for a wedding recently beautiful part of the country so it's is that where most of your your team is like where the manufacturing is based out of everything or Are you guys kind of headquarters? you have some different headquarters across the country mm-hmm.
0: Yep, so uh, the main headquarters is in Charlotte, which is three hours away from me. I'm, I'm yep. three hours south. And uh, that's where the warehouse is as well, mm-hmm. all the employees. And then we have a subsidiary uh, in the United Kingdom. Um, so it's called Sable UK. And then uh, post-COVID, it became super easy to go on Zooms and do a lot of this work now via Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, probably every other month, we get together as a team, do more planning sessions, and, and our R and D engineer team is in California, so that's easy to communicate with on Zoom as well.
2: Cool, yeah. so <laughs> that's kind of what I, I, you know, as you look go onto Sable website and you kind of see the plethora of products that are there, you know, for upper arm, lower arm, external, like you, you've really built an extensive product um, log, and you also look at you know the plethora of patents that you have under under the name as well. <clears throat> um, It's for two guys that started out as a occupational therapist, you've kind of transitioned into this medical, uh, Well, it might not be classified as medical device. Is it, are you, are you a medical device? Do you fall under that? Yeah. So it's the
0: medical, excuse me, it's a medical device company. And, um, you know, we've always seen ourselves as stroke educators, providing solutions because we're OTs and we educate and the company really for the first 12 years, we were on the road every weekend doing a two day course. Because in the beginning, it was just the Sable Flex and the Sable Glide. And we would have to do 16 hours every weekend, two eight hour days. And we were booked 45 weekends per year. Uh, we went through education companies to book those um, events. So we were pretty much living at the Charlotte airport, <clears throat> you know, just send the mail to Gate 25. And, but looking, you know, kind of coming full circle and None of this would be possible without the team that we have at Sabo. You know, there's, although we're having the podcast, you could have the podcast with anyone at Sabo and, 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 and get a wonderful story. We've grown over the years and brought on some really important people to help make the difference. And it's the frontliners, the ones that are having those conversations directly with the therapists and patients is what makes Sabo move. And so I'm very proud of the whole team and looking forward to the years to come.
2: Yeah. So, maybe let, let's dive into that process, you know, like how do you identify new, new products? Like you do that full kind of product ideation phase for you guys you know, Is it speaking with patients and then, you know, tr- trying things out and as you move, you find success or how's that usually? Well,
0: yep. you you know, the, you know, those rep catalogs are 4,000 pages. We have a competition to stay blindfold and just pick a page and say, okay, we're going to do that. No. Um, <laughs> all kidding aside, you know, the, the, the the product line was strategically created based on science and based on need. So one of the, I think, strengths of the Sabo is it's a therapist-run business for therapists, by therapists. It's not four engineers out of, you know, some robotic school trying to understand what therapy is, or you know, two businessmen with MBA degrees saying I know stroke rehab. It's literally therapists, they're sweating tears, struggling with therapists on a daily basis, figuring out what the needs are. And no, no offense to the MBAers or the robotic school people. Um, so as we looked at the, uh, what's missing, we went right to research and I used, you know, obviously we all do PubMed. We do EBRSR, which is the evidence-based review stroke research from Dr. T's a lot of Canada. And we can really um, categorize what's, gives us what's most beneficial. Can a patient use it independently without a therapist? That would be, be a sweet spot. And then the ultimate sweet spot is, is it affordable? So something Sable will never be is a company that sells to patients products that are thousands of dollars. We need to have these solutions under, at least most of the solutions, under a few hundred dollars the average median household income is getting lower and lower. You know, let's say it's $60,000. That's not the average household median income for a stroke survivor because they just lost half of their income, right? So so our job is, okay, what's proven to be beneficial and effective? So it's not, you know, some type of junk science. What do therapists need that they don't have today or what can we improve upon? And then we go to the drawing board and I work with the team in California that's our engineer team, r and d team. And um, we iterate. So it's every we're on weekly Thursday calls, discussing many products, product improvements. They send back a, product, a drawings a prototype, and the prototypes are nasty in the beginning, they're supposed to be. And then it goes through major iterations. And the good news is we have I, I see patients all the time uh, that come fly in and, and get some therapy, so I have access to them. And, and they go through the process with me and they give me the feedback and we tweak it again. And finally, finally, it gets to a stage where we all agree, this is probably the best we can do. Checks all the boxes, therapist box, patient box, our box, price points good. And then we finally go to um, finished production. And then we have a whole marketing team has a whole product launch process and an education process. And so from start to finish, it could take you know as long as two years.
1: So Henry, as you, as you continue to scale, um, you talked about being mindful mm-hmm. of the end user, the consumer, in your case that and, and, and we've we've talked about this on our show many times is that, you know, one of the biggest barriers we see with a lot of products and innovation is that is that too high of a of an acquisition for the, the user to, to use. sometimes, Therapists, because of that are guilty of not exposing their patients to that because they don't want to disappoint them for lack of better terms um how are how are you facing the barrier of uh of even at that price point where where are patients um are they asking you about reimbursement i guess is the, is the easiest way. And how do, is this something that can get covered?
0: So it's funny you say that. Um, and we joke about this and, and, you know, cause we do see ourselves as one of the most affordable leading stroke companies, probably the affordable leading stroke company uh, in the industry. And we have products that are $78 and we'll get an email saying, um, uh, can we break this into monthly payments or, um, can you can you offer discounts and i'm like and 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 the 78 dollar products you know we're trying to give away at very low margin very low margins just as a way to help them and they're still struggling so the part that we chuckle with in the back of the room is how on earth can we continue to see these research funded uh, articles continue to push out high technology stroke studies and why do we keep funding them as a, as a whole collective whole why are we funding There's 1,300 upper extremity, for instance, RCTs for stroke. And and the most of them, uh, several hundred, are geared towards robotics. Now, you brought up reimbursement. You brought up the end user. You can't say end user and robotics in the same sentence. Robotics are for hospitals. And so, yeah, we continue to still fund these very expensive products so they can give us the same results we've heard over 200 times. <laughs> yeah, it kind of it improved, but results showed it's good when you combine it with regular therapy. Okay, do we have to do one more study to show that? So let's say it does improve to the point it's significant improvement. Do you really think Mrs. Jones in Brooklyn in a four-story walk-up will ever have a $90,000 ARM robotic device? So looking back, and when we get these emails saying, gee, can you break up the payments uh, of that $78 device? Um, the, the biggest frustration in, at our, in, in our office is let's continue to iterate and continue to improve on, of course, non-robotic augmented devices that move limbs because they need movement that will allow them to have a meaningful life based on neuroplasticity but let's continue to make sure it is as affordable as possible. And you mentioned reimbursement Um, insurance companies are not trying to provide products to patients. Let's just be hundred percent clear. They have shareholders they have to answer to. So it's going to be very important that they uh, don't create products. Future companies don't create products thinking there's going to be reimbursement because a lot of these new companies come in and they're thinking there's going to be reimbursement. So they have these, Great solutions that are normally twenty thousand, fifteen thousand. You're not. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So we're just going to stick in our lane. Our lane is not reimbursed. Uh, very affordable Amazon-style transactions with wonderful support. That's the goal at Sabo. Sometimes we do good at that. Sometimes we fail. We try to improve.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's an unfortunate, you know, space that that you know really insurance companies don't have any interest to, to reimburse this because, you know, the research, what the research shows is that it works, right? Um, and, you know, you, you'd think, all right, we want the best for the patient. But, you know, at the end of the day, what you've created is that best solution, you know, at a, at a good price point as well. Um, and it, and going through your website, like you've, you've really created, you're trying to, like, from my eyes kind of create this holistic experience right you have different webinars you bring in you know experts to talk on you know stroke related um, topics for education both for the patient but also you educate the clinicians as well so so you're really growing a, a big you know what I what I look at as like a community right you're trying to, to build these people around you um, you know as CEO like what are what's some of your next steps like where do you see the evolution of sabo kind of trying to go in terms of that you know you've, you've built this world-class product you're a leader in the stroke space what more do you have to do
0: yeah so uh, there's uh, sadly um th- what keeps us up at night is the fact that we don't reach enough people <clears throat> they get lost in the system and uh, <clears throat> excuse me and so, yes, you can have a really good uh, program and, and a great portfolio of products, That doesn't necessarily mean patients are actually aware of those and they know they exist. And so, you know, all of our jobs at Sabo is how can we enhance uh, access to patients? For, you know, when you think about the journey process, they... Uh, they get admitted to the hospital. The hospital's first job is to save their life, <clears throat> and for the most part, they do. They save their life, and 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 you know during that hyperacute stage, job job well done. Then they transition to the acute stage, and they they're trying to get stable. Right? Their brain is swollen. They're trying to get stable, um, and heal up. Uh, gentle therapy has started, and then as they transition to the inpatient rehab stage, um, <clears throat> more often than not. You hear stories about how the patient wasn't really onboarded correctly. Let's use that word. We, you know, other companies do a great job onboarding customers, um, uh, you know, explaining their, what their experience is going to be and what the expectations are. Uh, A lot of these patients are not onboarded correctly from the standpoint, they don't know what their 30, 60, 90, 120 day plan is. No one's told them what, recovery stage they're currently at and what their expectations are based on each stage. And I'll use Signy Brunstrom, the wonderful Swedish physio who created the Brunstrom stages. You know, let me know I'm at Brunstrom 2 and what the heck does that mean? And how do I get to Brunstrom 3? What's my goal? And so I think we're still lacking in the communication process, the education process, and the resource process. I, I jokingly um, liken it to, the you know, uh, AAA. We all use AAA. Maybe, I mean, some still use it today. Used it a heck back in the day. Remember triptychs, right? You go into the office and you sit down and they, and they take out that highlighter with that nice little binder. And they just, they, they tell you where are the gas stations? They highlight the, you know, all the way to Florida from Buffalo. Well, I feel like we need to be AAA for our stroke patients. We need to be able to, you know, be the, tri- give them the triptych. What is their road to recovery? What pit stops are they going to have? How do we fill up their tank, right? So I think that's lacking immensely. And, and that's part of Sabo's job in the future. Our, our job is not only to re, you know iterate, create new products, um, bring on um, uh, improvements to the existing products, but also build that community for patients, therapists, and families.
1: Yeah, and you, you both mentioned the community component. And I think that perhaps in the future is definitely going to be the key. There are many, uh, you know, maybe we can talk about the message about how you're getting that out there about, I like the, 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 uh, one of the initiatives you and your team are doing with your podcast, and it's called no plateau. And, and, and some of that education and like what we're doing here with our podcast is to help, um, share patient experiences as well, because if it, if the training or the, um, the awareness that a, a, a affordable product exists is is maybe escaping um, the the opportunity that it if it doesn't happen in the clinic um, there are there are you know new mediums that can hopefully um, build that community so someone can say well have you tried this and and in, in, in some of the work Mike and I do, we, we, we get some of our biggest gems from the survivor communities we go in and we, and we speak with. So um, can you talk a little bit about um, uh, about what, what, what's maybe coming next in, re, in, in regard to how you are uh, expanding your community? Is there are things that you can share um, or is, is, uh, is that undercover right now?
0: Well, a lot of it is undercover, um, but, I, but it's no surprise to everybody. The, the key um, pillars are going to be um, better onboarding for patients and families early in the process. Um, a lot of resources for patients. Again, I used the AAA example. I mean, think about all the resources you get as a AAA member. So I think the resources are going to be key. The communication with a specialist will be key. You know, when you think about um, the journey of a stroke survivor, there are therapists that treat stroke, but there's not a lot of stroke therapists or neurotherapists, and that's a big difference. And so, when these patients get discharged from whatever hospital, they and then they go 45 minutes back to their suburbs or rural community. It's over, and I hate to be that blunt. But it's a gamble. And if you, if you live in a, a metro and you have access to that same hospital that's a, uh, that are neuro experts or neuro nerds, you got a good chance. You got a fighting chance. But far too often, I see the opposite. I see the patient who lives 45 minutes away from a major city and their, quote unquote, therapist that treats stroke is someone who 90% of the time is treating ortho. So if you're treating ortho 90% of the time, you get the occasional stroke game over for that stroke survivor And I, and I hate to be that blunt, but it's, you see it over and over. And the, the the luckiest ones are the ones that go through spontaneous recovery. So when you have that stroke, not to digress too much, but when you have a stroke and you're in that subacute phase and your uh, area surrounding the core that died in the cortex um, is still alive, but very weak. Um, that area uh, has a fighting chance. It went through shock and awe but it has a fighting chance to come back. And as it comes back, some people, it comes back really quickly with blood supply and that's the spontaneous recovery. But for the folks that um, don't get that spontaneous recovery, uh, that's when their first plateau starts. And this may be right when the chronic phase of stroke kicks in three, four, five months. And guess what They're discharged. And oddly enough, and sadly enough, patients are in the inpatient hospital for two weeks now, one week. It's not enough time. So they're discharged, they go home. They are now um, uh, they've, had, they've hit their first plat- plateau, and they're going to hit many plateaus. And let me just be clear. Sabo's tagline is "No plateau in sight." Our podcast that's going to be uh, starting soon, the No Plateau Podcast. All of us on this call plateau. We plateau as dads, ma- uh, fathers, uh, athletes, uh, em- employees at work. But what we do is when we plateau, and think of like an athlete. If Tiger Woods plateaus, he plateaus in a swing all the time. Then he modifies his swing, he edits his swing, and then he per, you know, perseveres and pushes through that mini plateau. So I call them mini plateaus. So we edit all the time as we plateau, and then we persevere, and then we hit our next plateau. We just don't have permanent plateaus, and neither do stroke survivors. In fact, uh, stroke survivors are not plateauing, treatment options are plateauing them, and that's the big tagline. So as they go through this process of having these mini plateaus, They're also rewiring their brain because they're with a, hopefully, a neuro nerd or a neuro expert, a neurotherapist, not a therapist that treats stroke or neuro, a neurotherapist. That means, what is a neurotherapist, guys? It's someone that goes and takes all the neuro certifications that are available. It's someone that reads all the articles on a monthly basis. It's someone that has 90% of their caseload is neuro. So guess what? That's not a majority of our patients. So why is Sable building this community? And why are we talking about that? We're trying to help the majority of the patients that are 45 minutes away from that hospital that saved their lives and that's going to a clinic that treats mostly artho. And so now they're going online, Amazoning it, Googling it, and they're lost and they have tons of questions and they're looking for answers. And that's where we hope to help them.
2: that was the first time I didn't interrupt somebody that was saying plateau because plateau is something that, you know, we, we hate saying on this podcast, but I think the way you just explained it you know, makes a lot of sense, right? Um, and I, I think it's how a stroke survivor interprets that and how clinicians really explain that process like you just walked us through. Because it, and the way you put it into every walk of life, it, it happens, right? Like, But it's how you interpret that kind of self-realize, like, all right, this is what's happening. This is the stage that we're at, but how do we get to that next step? Unfortunately, like you said, stroke survivors often don't have that support and and that nudge to say, all right, this is where we are, but how are you going to get to the next step? Um, but I'd be interested in like, you know, as you've been in this space for a couple of decades now, like how have you seen the patient, like the stroke survivors demands for, for this type of service and and it really even the change now over the last couple of years um, through the pandemic, um, where if you were 45 minutes away from a hospital, you really didn't have access. But all of a sudden, now telehealth becomes you know something that's really possible. <laughs> and as much as we could get into the weeds around you know delivering OT or PT through telehealth, it's more so just that connection, right? Um, speaking with a coach, speaking with you know someone who could kind of help nudge through the process, um, you know, what have you seen, I guess, you know, in the last couple of months or years in terms of this patient engagement and, and expectations that some of the stroke survivors are now coming with?
0: Yeah, we, we joke um, when I'm with the patients and families, I'm like, you know, we all have these uh, Alexas in our house or versions of Alexa with Amazon. Why don't we have AI that, that is just one geared towards stroke, okay? Instead of Alexa, call it whatever. Um, what is spasticity? And she gives you an answer. Here's my arm movement. What's you know, what should I be doing? And she gives so it gives you the answer. Or I have shoulder pain. What should I do? You know, I think there's going to be a point, and it won't be Sabo because that's not our specialty, but I think there's going to be a point where eventually there's going to be enough artificial intelligence where you could literally have Alexa's, if you will, for every pathology. And up-to-date evidence-based Alexis, not the generic version. Um, but if we dial that back, cause that's not going to happen in the next couple of years. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think the demands have changed too much from the patient side. I think the delivery model has changed. Um, and I think, yeah, COVID, you know, we've been talking about tele-rehab for 30 years and every year it's going to happen every year. It's going to happen. Now where it has happened is more for doctor visits and simple things. If you have a common cold and you want to be stuck in a sick waiting room, Um, Yeah, here's my $25. Look at me. What pills do I need? Telemedicine works perfect for that. Telemedicine also works great for uh, pediatrics, Uh, maybe it's speech, Uh, maybe it's um, cognitive um, impairments. Good luck trying to successfully have tele-rehab for someone who who has a hemiparesis who you physically need to help. And the caregiver, your 82-year-old husband is not going to do it, right? So um, so I think we're, we're very much a long ways away from having a successful um model for people with physical impairments. Now, you could, if you had tools that come along with the telerehab experience that they can purchase in a package that augment the movement. And that's something I think Sable could you know gravitate towards because we have those tools, but it is still a process to get patients, comfortable with that experience because they do want to be right in front of you live and interactive. So I don't think the demands have changed so much because patients still have the same issues. Um, I do think it's still going to be a struggle. Um, I do like the the direction the mental health community is going with coaching. And there's a lot of products you can purchase where it comes with coaching hours and sessions. Um, I think there might be some traction there, but still it it's low percentage at this point. We still have to prove this out. And the other thing that's becoming, you know, popular is digital therapeutics in general. You know, people like putting a strap on their wrist and watching their hand move on a screen. You got to have the movement number one to do that. Um, So I think uh, keeping it affordable and those types of gadgets are great too, but the folks that are not going to benefit the most from the, all these new gadgets that are on Amazon, are ones that can't lift their arm, can't move their leg, because you're going to need more than just, than just a wearable sensor to move your arm or lift your leg. That's not going to lift your arm or, or move your leg, but attract your movement. Okay, well, the arm's not moving, so I don't need to attract it. So we're far from uh, coming up with a solution, meaning the industry is far from coming up with a solution that's going to allow a client to go on Amazon, buy these sensors, play these games, and have something move their arms for them. And by the way, it's all under a couple hundred dollars. So maybe that's where the research needs to be spending their their investment money, towards finding those solutions.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned um, a really good point um, in terms of outcomes being determined by zip code and 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 packaging innovation. I and mean, we usually end with a magic wand question, but you kind of touched on where where you feel this industry needs to go to provide better. Affordable solutions and going you're really addressing that chronic stroke that you mentioned at the beginning. But um, if you if you did have that magic wand for the the innovation part, um, is it what I'm hearing? Is there is, is there is there a need for sort of a marketplace that would? have all those tools let's say it it, to to, to, with mike's question about the tele-rehab and the ability to coach i agree um you're the 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 video alone i i see that as the gateway to be able to get the face face time and the technology and the tools that maybe work in the background as the ability to augment that experience um is there do you, do you feel like they're, we're going in the right direction with um, where, you know, there's, there's these new codes that are coming in the pipeline that we're trying to use in PT and OT, these remote therapeutic monitoring. Do you see that as maybe uh, fostering this better long-term care to address chronic stroke?
0: Yeah. So if we we can answer that in buckets, if the, if the stroke survivor is super high level and has minor impairments, tell the rehab can be very effective for them. Uh, Cause you can sit down on zoom and do fine motor exercises and I don't need to manually assist. Now, if you, if you say, no, the patient's completely flaccid, you know, blunt, brunstrom, one brunstrom, two brunstrom, three meaning to the audience flaccid or spastic and can't initiate any movement. Tell the rehab is not going to be successful for physical issues. Cognitive, mental health, different story. So I don't think, you know, for the chronic stroke survivor, which means they don't have, they don't qualify for constraint-induced movement therapy. It's the 80% that don't have finger extension. I don't see that being successful until UPS shows up at their front door in a box with all the solutions. And they can easily put those solutions on with, with someone on the other end of the Zoom call. Um, magic wand moment. Uh, I would say, and it's sad that you have to say this when you think of stroke. So, so stroke is, is pretty common, right? It's, it's, it's very common. Um, But there it's, it's, it's almost niche when it becomes a neuro expert. You know, if you take hip surgery, knee replacement, pulmonary disease, um, cardiac, a general PT and OT can can easily handle that and follow the protocol. If you want to be a not a therapist treating neuro, but a neurotherapist, you're signing up for for working harder. You're signing up to stay in touch with what's the latest. You're signing up for a lot of bad days. You're signing up for tears. You're signing up for micro goals, not short-term goals, meaning a twitch of a toe, a flicker of the thumb you know, a little upper trap, yay, let's celebrate those small victories. That is a different breed of clinicians. So there's not enough of those. And in a perfect world, I would want a neuro nerd in every zip code or a neuro clinic that houses neuro experts in every zip code, that's perfect world. Um, Having intense therapy, this one to two weeks in an inpatient rehab facility is, is comical, fraudulent, silly. There's so much to do and so little time. And, and the biggest wand moment would be the clarion call to all therapists, all, all universities that teach therapists, all rehab hospitals, stop compensating your patients early on in the recovery process because your insurance companies are telling you to put down the FIM score. FIM scores are these scores that dictate what level of independence they're at so they can boot them out of the hospital. So as OTs were learned early on in the education process in school, in fact, teach them how to do one-handed things as soon as possible. Okay. That's pretty much telling your brain, stop firing signals and rewiring because I'm teaching the other side to do everything as quickly as possible for insurance reasons, not because it's going to help neuroplasticity. Do you realize that still happens in 2022? Do you realize teachers are still teaching that? So the magic wand moment is you get admitted to the hospital. You're not going to very once by a therapist teach you how to do independent ADLs one handed. You know what that is? That's a video series that your family is going to review with you at the cafeteria when you have nine hours to relax. Do you think we went to school five hours of training to become a glorified shirt donner? Or one-handed, you know, is my designation the one-handed expert to putting on ch- shirts or so I'm an ADL guy. I love function. It's important to make sure these patients are independent, but there's a critical window. And that critical window is in the first three, four months. And if you're going to spend most of your time teaching Mrs. Jones how to be independent and compensate to be independent versus forcing force use, constraint-induced therapy type treatment, we're doing it all wrong. And, and don't ask me, just ask the science, ask the researchers. But the question is, why are we still teaching our students? And why is our supervisor still promoting this? And that's unfortunately because we're following the insurance reimbursement. So it's coming down from the top, right? So magic one moment switches day one with the new world and patients will learn how to groom, dress and eat by watching videos like we do right now on YouTube. It's a DIY project in my opinion.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a great answer. And, you know, one thing that as you kind of hit on there, um, one thing, as as long as David and I have been involved in this world of stroke rehab, it's, you know, following the money, right. And it seems like it's the same in the clinical world of, of what's being taught at, at, a, you know, at a university level. It's a shame. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we could do our part to kind of move the needle and, hopefully one day see that change. Um, because I think it's a, your answer to that magic wand was excellent. Um, you know, and one that, you know, I think resonates with a lot of, I'm sure we have a, a mix of survivors, but also clinicians on this but who, who tune into us. And I think that'll re- really resonate to them as well. Um, so, you know, it, it's been a great conversation and, you know, for our listeners, I, I think we've you know, really dug deep into the weeds of stroke, of SABO. Um, when you're not sitting behind your desk in, in Charleston, you know, what? Do, what's a uh, Henry do for fun? What, what do you get out and, and kind of clear your mind of the stroke rehab and, and the SABO running a business world?
0: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, so the kids and family definitely keep me distracted from the business world with the one daughter uh, playing a lot of golf. So we're uh, always rooting around at the tournaments and the other one playing tennis we, we're an active sports family so uh kids occupy 90 percent of my life um and um so we, we try to spend as much time with with them as possible uh to unwind and unload well
2: david i'll let you i'll let you wrap it up here um it's yeah i
1: just i just want to thank you henry for uh your time today and really especially with your magic wand speaking the truth on what needs to change and and really where we're at and where we need to be as a profession um to serve this community the best so we'll put all your information in the show notes if anyone wants to reach out to you but in in closing is there anything that you'd like to say Mm -hmm. that we might not have covered any 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 uh closing remarks
0: no, I think we did a great job kind of summarizing the state of the industry. And I appreciate you all having me on and looking forward to having you guys on our future podcast uh, coming up. That'd be great.
2: Super. Thanks, Henry. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Take- all right,
0: guys. You, ha- you have a wonderful uh, weekend. You too. Thank
2: you.